all about apprenticeships, brought to you by the HomeServe Foundation. I'm Georgie Frost, and coming up in this episode, it took top spot in this year's official Top 100 Apprenticeship Employers. But what makes the programmes delivered by the British Army so successful, and what could other businesses and industries learn? We'll be speaking to Colonel Matt Ketterer and getting the views of Anna Morrison, CEO of Amazing Apprenticeships. Now, on our last episode, we caught up with the Apprenticeships and Skills Minister, Gillian Keegan, who told us what the government is doing to support the next generation of apprentices in a post-Brexit, post-Covid world. Talking of the next generation, throughout the series, we're going to be following a group of apprentices on their journey to discover what it's really like. We'll meet the first of our five later on in this episode. But first, over 8,000 young people gained new skills last year in the army. Almost a fifth of its workforce are currently completing apprenticeship programmes as part of their military training in areas including engineering, telecommunications, logistics, construction, health and IT. Joining me now is Colonel Matt Ketterer, the Army Lead for Apprenticeship Operations and Quality Assurance. Uh, Welcome, Matt. Congratulations, the top apprenticeship employer. What are you doing so well? It's really interesting. Um, I, I've been in this job sort of three months, uh, and a lot of the, the work, the conditions were, were set by by sort of my predecessor. Um, I think the interesting thing with the top 100 apprenticeship employers um, 2020 was it looked at four pr- principal areas um, or four criteria that we used um, in this case, because you, you'd appreciate there are a number of different awards and a number of different mm. bodies and regulatory bodies. But this was about data that looked at the total number of apprentices employed, uh, employed, number of new starts, um, the diversity of apprentices, and also those or the number who had completed the apprenticeship, but then continued in employment with the employer. So it's four uh, kind of criteria, no voting, no judging processes. And actually, um, we stood up really well against those criteria. I mean, you said in your sort of introduction that we've got almost a fifth 18 18 percent or just over of the workforce currently on an apprenticeship program um and that in it is in excess of about fourteen thousand or fourteen thousand two hundred soldiers um and we had a, around eight and a half thousand starts and so this was looking at the uh financial year april 19 to march 20 so it was that period of time in, in which it was looked at um and so really it's a lot of it's about scale we had um we were sort of four times the number of the next highest in terms of starts uh, and whilst that's great news um, because of the size, sheer size of it, uh, it, it makes it you know large, um, but also it, it brings challenges of its own because it makes it more complex if you have more programs and if you have more people, clearly it will become um, slightly more complicated. But because the completion rate was high uh, and retention service upon apprenticeship completion was was also high. Um, we came out of it doing really well. And, and understandably, we're delighted to have, have got first place mm. this year. I imagine this wasn't, oops, we just managed to win an award in this area. I imagine, especially being the army, there's quite a lot of strategic planning that's gone into this. Um, from what level did you enter at? I, where was the emphasis on apprenticeships? Perhaps when you, when you first arrived and, and where do you want to take it? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, when you look at the sort of, there was a sheet that accompanied the top 100, uh, uh, all those people did brilliantly. And they're running apprenticeships from level two through to level seven. Um, and for us, actually, the main focus is about ensuring or our commitment to everyone who joins um, the Army as a soldier to maximise their opportunity to start and embark on apprenticeship. And so we're reliant on ensuring that 
we have the appropriate standards in place that align with the trade groups to ensure that they have a, an appropriate pathway. And it's, so it's, it's, it's just over 95% of those who will join will access. And those who can't access one at the moment, we seek out alternative um, qualifications at those appropriate levels. So we didn't pitch it in any particular area, but a lot of our work and a lot of our focus is um, at level two and level three apprenticeships. Um, and I think approximately 8,000 8, um, and 6,500 at level two and, and level three, respectively. So it absolutely makes up the majority of our apprenticeships. But the focus now is to grow in terms of um, progressing up the ladder to you know, more level four. And we've started rolling out the level six chartered manager degree apprenticeships. So it was about scale. It was about number. Um, and in all honesty, it's about reach and accessibility for all those who join. So um, strategy is one thing, but equity of opportunities is, is another. I imagine, I mean, there's a diverse range of apprenticeships available in the army, and I want you to talk me through what they are. Um, but I imagine, given the range, this is just this isn't just about producing quality people, I suppose, for the army, but this is about or quality soldiers. This is about developing you know, good human beings, all-round human beings, well-skilled people that can then, once they've left the army, go forth and benefit the economy in other ways. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good point. I think there's a big part of it is social mobility. And, and I think that reinforces the point about level two and level three apprenticeships. Um, you know, for lots of different reasons, there are those who might not have, have, have had the most positive experience at school. It may be a maturity issue. It may be it just wasn't right for them. It, it, you know, lots of reasons one doesn't necessarily connect with you know, mainstream education up to up to the age of 16. Uh, and so for us, it's a it's a real opportunity to provide uh, an academic or, and vocational pathway. So in combining education, employment and training for those individuals who otherwise might have you know, fallen off the radar um, and, and, and allowing them to grow in confidence by accessing a pathway that exploits the I suppose the kudos and the intellect and the appetite and the abilities that they have and, and progresses them and develop develops them during training and during service. So there is clearly part of, of, of social mobility, but but for us it's it's not just about learning. And learning is key. Um, but with the apprenticeship now, with the move from framework to standards, there's a lot more focus on yes, knowledge. Yes, skills, and particularly in terms of output, being able to perform the task required of that trade or that career employment group. But crucially is this focus on behavior um, and attitude. And with an organization like the Army, which focuses quite heavily on um, its ethos, its identity, and what we commonly refer to as our sort of core values and standards, the thing that define us, the thing that shape us, um, that underpins the apprenticeship. Because whilst you're getting the knowledge and you're getting the skills, um, incumbent with all elements of what we call basic uh, initial and subsequent training is this focus on values and standards. We have something called the Army Leadership Code um, and important values like integrity, selfless commitment and, and discipline. And the things that allow people to take pride in what they do. So when you instill that sort of ethos and the pride within those individu individuals who are coming in, and you package it with a, you know, a really credible learning pathway, what you have is not, not just only a qualification at the end, you have a, a skilled soldier at the end who can 
contribute to our um, operational capability by, by um, having met the, the national standard required to fulfill the requirements of their job. Now, clearly, when they leave, um, we'd like to hold on to them all. But, but, but it is normal for people to leave service. And it's really important that those who leave us at the time of their choosing do so and have a, a soft landing on exit. So because they get an apprenticeship, because they have that qualification, because they have the, I suppose, the advantage of military service behind them, which I think is an, an enabler, they leave having joined with, you know, they joined us with not a lot in some cases. That, that's plenty who do join us with, with plenty, sorry. Um, but when they leave, they, they've, you know, got qualifications, got apprenticeships, um, are recognised for the, the knowledge and skills and experience, and therefore more, far more employable. So I, th I think it's, Yes, it's that social mobility tie, um, which, which is paramount. But um, it's part of what the army is able to do because it seeks to bring all those people on in service. I, I hope that kind of makes sense. No, absolutely. So an army apprenticeship then is, is about many things, learning new skills, operational, uh, creating soldiers of the future, uh, developing future leaders, giving back almost to the, to the economy as well. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I think... You know, lots of uh, lots of different opinions about what are the appropriate pathways and how to how to drive down that those numbers who are who are not in um, education, employment, and training, um, and where in the the tr a traditional dare I say use the term, but the traditional academic route. Yes, it's it's academically rigorous, it's um, intellectually developmental, and, and of course it's challenging. But but what's missing is this element of employability and this in, in, uh, element of appropriate behaviour and attitude, and, and it's so important. And I've worked in a number, I've been fortunate to work in a number of jobs. One is a, um, a platoon commander in a training regiment where we took 16 and 17-year-olds in our, in, in our sort of junior uh, 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 kind of um, apprenticeship colleges, really, but technical foundation colleges. And they arrived day one and, you know, after 28 weeks later of their sort of initial training and they had their pass-off parades, the number of parents who would come up to you and say, you know, look how my son or daughter have really come on. They've almost grown in size as well as stature and confidence. And I think that's a great thing. But what I found in a job most recently when we, we took people from schools who were working in the university environment is whilst they're incredibly bright, incredibly able and, and, and actually really inspiring both as people and on paper, there was a fundamental lack of, of, I think, employability skills. And so there's a lot of focus there on making sure that, yes, you can be academically credible, academically very gifted. But a lot of environments now, and particularly, you know, skill sectors are looking for that employability which um, you know is wrapped front and center within within uh, within the, the apprenticeship. So let's talk us through some of the range of apprenticeships then available in the army. Has that list changed over the years? Do you know we've always had a, we've always had apprenticeships. Um, it, it has changed. Uh, you know the first focus. You know post the First World War, and, and I won't I won't indulge too much in history, but post the First World War. There was a, a, a you know significant, very severe lack of of, of skilled labour, and threw in the issue of increased mechanisation of the army, um, and a decision was made then uh, about 1923 to for the army to train its own people. So rather than wait for a normal peacetime situation, we established what was called a central school for training, and on that was about a thousand uh, a thousand apprentices. Now there was the intent to grow, I think, eleven trades or to teach eleven trades, and in the end there were there were there were four um, blacksmiths. Fitters, so you construct, construction, assembling, manufacturing, and you know parts of machines. Carpenters and electricians, uh, and electricians. So we've been doing this for a while, and, and clearly as time has gone on, our programs have grown. You know we have forty three programs now, 
um, and as technological advancement and digitization you know comes to the fore and and, and changes the ways that we do things the nature of our apprenticeships needs to change so less focus clearly on blacksmiths um, and more focus on you know cyber security uh, experts and and those people who who really under, understand technological platforms so who should apply then what sort of person are you looking for young old yeah there's no type and 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 it might sound a little cliche but but the nature of an organization like the british army and there are many of those on on that sort of top 100 list is that scale and breadth of career employment groups is is vast that it requires you know, people of all backgrounds, diverse areas of career interest um, and thinking to help it operate. And so we hope we would have something for everyone. We recognise that military service isn't for everyone. But because it's the British Army, we're soldiers first, irrespective of trade or employment group. But anyone who is up for the challenge should find, or one would hope find, an apprenticeship that is of interest. You know, chefs, um, cyber security experts, business and, excuse me, business and administrators. There are so many out there um, that one would hope there's you know, something on the shelf that would, would, would take someone's fancy, you know, dog, even dog handlers and you know, carpenters. Um, that's the idea anyway, um, as, we, as we grow sort of scale and reach. And as time comes on and demands for military service changes um, for the likes of you know, UAV operators, those people are typically historically good at gaming, good on consoles. You know, there's a place for people like that who, who have those skills and can turn those skills to good use in 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 an organization such as ours so i think this i think it's quite broad in what we offer i would hope it's quite broad in what we offer um i just want to talk about your role this seems a nice sort of in for that because you're the lead for apprenticeship operations and quality assurance so i guess if someone's wanting to check to see whether you offer the right roles and whether it's broad etc etc well that person's you i mean what is your sort of role day-to-day look like in that regard yeah i i say it's someone like me i mean i have i have responsibility for for you know for a, a big part of it but as you would appreciate there's a there's a team that we build to make sure that actually the program's running properly because the program needs to run properly clearly it, it, it's subject to uh regulatory or, or um checks by uh funding agencies and, and regulatory bodies Ofqual, ESFA, so Education Skills Funding Agency, Ofsted, of course. Um, but actually, uh, and, and, and that's really, really important. It's insu- important that, you know, reg and proper in the right place. But if you focus on the learner, uh, and, and that's what I believe, if, if you focus on the learner, the learner journey, and make it about them and do things right, theoretically, you're going to make the right decision for the right reason in terms of the package and pathways that you offer. Yes, we need to. We, you know, we will be um, visited by Ofsted and, and have been visited by Ofsted. But you know, with the new um, IFAT approved standard, so that's the a regulatory body, the Institute for Apprenticeships and Technical Education. There are certain expectations and certain standards to be met to ensure that the money that is drawn down to deliver the, these programs are is are efficient, effective, quality assured, safe. And those people who progress through it, noticing a lot of hours, um, you know, 16 to 24 year olds, society, uh, you know, socially uh, w- would be within the, I suppose, um, slightly more vulnerable cohort, that they're, that they're looked after, that safeguarding is in place. Um, and at the end of it, you have a quality program where people are developed, um, where behavior and attitudes are, as you would hope, 
um, and that they're achieving both in terms of completing the program and successfully. So, yes, there are things we need to achieve on a quality assurance side, but I really think it comes down to basics. Just in any element of teaching, if you focus on the learner, you can't go too far wrong, recognising there are certain things expected of you to make sure it's done properly. Have you had to change your approach given the current situation that we find ourselves in? When I say that, I, of course, mean the coronavirus pandemic. How has it impacted apprentices and the apprenticeship programme in the army and, and thus your role? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, the, when you look at the national picture, it's, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? It's, 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 it's bleak and, and I, you know, it's a statement of the obvious. It doesn't make for great reading. Um, I think if you, depending on research you look at, you'll see that, you know, COVID-19 has affected, you know, at least, you know, 50, 60 percent of those have, have been affected in terms of how they've approached their the, the apprenticeships. F for us, um, you know, a lot of it has been driven online. There has been a lot of focus on actually some really good and innovative work by some of our service providers and some of the military instructors to make sure that they can kind of navigate the, these these constraints and these these challenging obstacles as as best as possible, and I think actually we've we've come out of it. You know, no one's going to come out of this well, are they? Um, really, but we've we've come out of it where I think because of the nature of military service, and then because of the nature of we you know we need to be prepared to deploy at short notice to deliver particular effects overseas and on, and on operations. Military life is is uh, inherently mobile. And therefore, we've always been quite focused on how to be able to operate the apprenticeship program online, remotely and virtually at a place of, you know, a learner's choosing. And so that has helped us a little bit. That said, where, you know, I, I live at the East Coast and, and connectivity is not great and where that's not worked particularly well, we've gone back to old school where, you know, old school learning materials, using the post and sending it to individuals to use. And I think whilst, you know, I said quite high numbers of those have been affected nationally, we've we've actually not done too well. Actually, we've done, you know, pretty well. You know, 82 percent are, are still are still on their programs. Some of them have, have been suspended. So so taken off the program for a short period of time or just paused to because they're operating out of role and, and on, on duty. Um, the likes of, you know, um, building temporary hospitals. But actually. You know, that created an opportunity for some of those, so those who are in construction, who, who are putting out the hospitals, to be assessed in, in, a, in a credible, meaningful place of work. So fortunately, we've adapted pretty well. It's far from perfect. And, and of course, there will be suspensions and, and, and delays in programmes. But I know there are those who have in a far worse position than us. And, and, and I think most fortunately, I think um, all our apprentices are, are soldiers and, and, and are on full pay. Um, and we have not had to, you know, furlough or, or, or make any of them redundant. So we certainly consider ourselves pretty, pretty fortunate. And in terms of going forward, I imagine you're not planning on changing anything as it stands. I don't think it's about uh, not changing anything. I think it's the reason we were able to react pretty well is because I think you have to preempt. You have to look forward in, in order to, 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 to look at what's happening around, around us. And I think if you rest on your laurels and you stop and you don't think what's next, and you, you know, look, look. You, you don't keep horizon gazing. I think you'll 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 be found short, uh, and that's when you just start being concerned. And 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 you know, a program such as our, ours would start to worry. But our focus is is now on increasing reach, increasing the number of programs, and and to ensure that you know everyone who joins has a credible pathway to um 
to, to do it, you know, a job to the best of their ability within the British Army. Well, with an extension to what you've just said there, what would you say to someone listening who's thinking about doing an army apprentice? What would you say to someone listening who's thinking about doing an army apprenticeship? I would actually say, why, you know, why, why wouldn't you? I think we're very lucky. I, I mean, we're slightly different in, in, in that in order to access an army apprenticeship, you have to, you have to, you have to join the military. You have to join the army, the British army. Um, and um, for us, it's always been about, you know, challenge, variety, reward, opportunity um but if it's if you want something a little bit different uh, and you want to be progressed and you want to be developed and you want to experience life and and you know operate your job daily whether it's in the uk overseas or, or deployed um then a the army is great for you of course i would say that wouldn't i but but b um the apprenticeship is 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 such a good progression to really you know even if you come for a short period of time come enjoy experience build your confidence through service and an apprenticeship and then leave in a far better place than than, than you joined um but that's come from someone who's been in the organization for 20 years and, and has spent most of his time within sort of education and training and learning and development so front and center has been to to bring on those under not just my but our sort of tutelage and and so i, I would be probably quite evangelical and, and passionate about it because we believe in it you know we really believe in it strongly well, that's that's people thinking about becoming an apprentice. But and I know you said you don't want people to leave, but they might do. They might do. Um, so what would you say to businesses then who are thinking about taking on someone who's come through the army through an army apprenticeship program? Well, I think if you can, you know, one of the key focuses of the old sort of apprenticeship frameworks when there's a big focus on qualification attainment at the end, but there were those, despite having the qualification, there were those who were perhaps deficit in, in skills and, 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 and ability of, of actually um, um, performing in that particular trade with those skills. The move to standards has meant that, and I kind of touched on this earlier, there's is a, is a, is a larger focus on, you know, on, on knowledge, on skills, um, and on uh, you know behaviours um, that need to have been learned by the end of the apprenticeship. So it means that at the end of the apprenticeship, now with the standards, you, you've got someone who is who is properly qualified, who is able um, to do the job that's required of them. But the difference between I'm not going to say the difference between, but what I can I think say safely for someone who's done an apprenticeship in the British Army is that they also get those life skills that military service offers. And it is different because the nature of military service differs to so many other areas. Um, and so, the, you know, I touched on the, the, the values and standards that, you know, there's dignity, there's, there's confidence, they're committed to the job, they're proud and they're professional. And, and, and they, as they are loyal to our organisation, one would hope they'll be loyal to those, their, those organisations in which they would seek employment on, on exit. And I think with someone from the British Army, you'll get someone who will always put in a day's work and then and they know what it is to is to work hard um, and to seek to achieve because it's, it, you know, it, it's kind of what we're about. You know, we, we have to adapt and overcome. Um, and uh, that that's, you know, very much part of our DNA. So I, I would encourage anyone looking for high quality apprenticeships with with good life skills, really you know, sound behaviours and, and, and a positive and, and, and go to attitude. Um, to seek those leaving, you know, those who do choose to leave the army, um, because, you know, I commend them most favourably. 
Thank you very much, Colonel Matt Kitter. Now, it's not just the army that's popular with apprentices. The Ministry of Defence is the biggest provider of apprenticeships in the UK with around 20,000 apprentices on a programme across the armed forces. But why are they so popular? Well, let's check back in with one of our panel of experts, Anna Morrison, CEO of Amazing Apprenticeships, to find out a little bit more. Anna, welcome. Um, What do you put, firstly, the success of the army down to in this field? Has it always been this way? Um, Hi. So the army is one of the armed forces. Of course, we've got the British Army, the Royal Navy and the Royal Air Force. And all three of those services have recently won places in the top 10 Um, of the top 100 apprenticeship employers. So the British Army were at number one and the Navy were at number three and the RAF, the Royal Air Force, were at number 10. So that's a huge achievement. I think possibly with the armed forces, um, it's one of the best kept secrets. Possibly people don't know that in order to, well, in a lot of positions, when you join the armed forces, you will go in as an apprentice. Um, The quality of their provision is absolutely outstanding. And and not only have they picked up awards for their apprenticeship provision, but more widely as an employer, I think they're doing a lot to dispel some of the myths around the opportunities that they've got. They've um, recently won a place in the top 100 times employer for women. And they've also got a place in the top 100 Stonewall LGBT employers as well. So really significant achievements, I think, for the armed forces that really show a a definite culture change. Well, from the outsider's point of view, I think perhaps there are myths or misconceptions around what it is to work in the armed forces. And I think they're working really hard to change that. And apprenticeships are one of those key areas that they're using to, to drive that change. To drive change, certainly. But what else is the focus of of apprenticeships for the armed forces? Why why do you think there is such an importance placed on them so much so that they're, they're winning awards for it? Absolutely. Well, I think they've they've really approached it in a way where they've explored all of the different career routes and pathways throughout the armed forces. And they've been able to introduce apprenticeship programs at all sorts of levels of their organisation in such a incredible range of job roles. So um, when we were talking to them recently, you know, they were saying you could work in anything from animal care to catering to nuclear to telecoms to um, medical, you know, logistics. There are just so many areas that I think sometimes we think of the armed forces and we think of some of that frontline service, which um, which we perhaps see in the news or we hear about. Um, but there are an incredible upper kind of range of job opportunities, both frontline and in kind of back office type roles. That means that they've been able to utilise apprenticeships to support the training and development of a number of their career pathways throughout the organisation. I guess it goes to the heart of, of what apprenticeship, apprenticeships are all about. It certainly benefits the army, it benefits the, the corporation or the business at the time when they have that young person or that person training and with them. And once they once they have completed their training, but also beyond that, it creates skills for life that when they eventually do go to Civvy Street, um, they've got skills. Absolutely. I think 
the range of skills that they will pick up, you know, I think talking to the armed forces, they'll say you will get these unique experiences that you won't get in another organisation and you potentially will have the opportunity to travel as well with them. So not only are you picking up those skills and experiences in England, but if you take a role that enables you to uh, live in another country or serve in another country for a period of time, you're, you're building that in as well. I know um, some individuals, I think there's all sorts of myths out there around how long you serve in the army for. Is there a minimum? Is there a maximum? But what really came across to me in talking to the armed forces is that they want to, um, they're trying to catch you in. So they're always trying to find career opportunities that are going to be right for you. And if you show that commitment and dedication, then they want to progress you for as long as you want to be there. And they want to be able to use your skills and help you to have a really successful career but at the end of that if you do decide that you want to move into a civilian role um whether that's kind of with them or kind of leaving the armed forces completely and and going into something different that you are definitely well equipped to be able to cope with a number of different uh, situations I suppose if you think about all that training about working under pressure working in difficult environments um, working with a number of people that you perhaps have never met before you know all of those skills I think can really set you up brilliantly for other roles beyond the armed forces as well. In that regard broadening it out then a little so this is not just uh, a benefit to the army this is of benefit to the to the wider economy isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think we've seen a number of schemes over the years that help ex-service men and ex-service women to be able to move into different roles. We've seen it in the education sector. We've seen a number of um, initiatives that support those individuals to become qualified teachers and trainers and then move into the education sector. That's brilliant. But, you know, that's that's not the only industry that it will happen in. So the fact that the armed forces are recruiting individuals in such huge volumes and training them up, um, and they haven't stopped recruiting throughout the pandemic either, and they've got enormously huge kind of ambitious plans to recruit um, into next year as well. I think that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? If people can find themselves in secure employment, be gaining all of those skills and experiences and being able to utilise that either to progress with their career in the armed forces or to take that then to another employer beyond their time in the armed forces. Um, I think we'd all agree that um, getting qualified, getting more skills and experience has got to be a good thing. How much do you think that other businesses and other sectors could could learn from the way that the armed forces approach apprenticeships and recruitment? I think that's a really good question. I think, um, I mean, it's it's quite hard sometimes. I sit here as a small business and I think, wow, what could we learn from the army? And there's so much in terms of the, the quality of the training, the opportunities that they give those individuals, even down to things like the starting salaries are really incredible to be able to support those individuals. Another thing that they do that's really interesting is they start, they have an opportunity to join the armed forces from zero qualifications. And the British Army will talk about this particularly. So, um, so sometimes I think we we kind of fall into the trap of, of perhaps old-fashioned recruitment processes where there are minimum GCSE, English and maths requirements. The British Army take a different approach. So if you do not have any academic qualifications, 
they will still work with you to try and, I've talked about it before, catch you in. So that the whole recruitment process is about trying to help you to identify your potential. And then they will work with you to find a role that could be best suited for you. You're also not competing against anyone else. You're competing against a system and yourself. So by that, they mean what they won't do is kind of have, I don't know, X number of people that they will take through to a certain stage. And then they will only look to take through X number of people to the next stage. And sometimes with other employers, we see recruitment processes that are designed like that. The army, the British army, the armed forces are slightly different. So the way that they recruit, you know, you have a... Um, a recruitment coach, I believe they call them, who will work with you from the very beginning. So you are supported with your application and you're supported to get it right. They're not waiting for you to make a mistake and get it wrong. And so I think there are some really interesting processes around recruitment that we could look at. The other thing that they do is um, the way that they will support vulnerable or disadvantaged individuals to be able to access those same opportunities. And they have particular programs that will mean there's perhaps enhanced support for people who may be coming from a background or a personal situation where they might find it more challenging. Then the armed forces will put increased support in place for those individuals to be able to succeed at the recruitment phase. And I think that is a really positive lesson that we could learn as well. Mm, taking all of what you've said and, and thinking back to episode one, when we first spoke to you um, about incentives, we spoke a lot about cost being one of the barriers uh, for businesses in taking on apprenticeships. The, the desire is there, but it's the cost that's an issue. We're seeing in Scotland more incentives in, I, I believe, Australia as well. Really interesting that you pick up on the incentives. And this is something that um I'm really hoping that we see a a bit of tweaking and change through our current system. So it's fantastic that the Chancellor, the Treasury have come out and have topped up the incentives for apprenticeships. But definitely I'm I'm sensing from the uh, I know from the employers that I'm speaking to on the ground that they need it to be more to really make a difference. And you mentioned Scotland there. I think what Scotland released um, is is very interesting, and they've now brought in a an incentive program where I believe you can access up to five thousand pounds for taking on an apprentice aged sixteen to twenty four, or up to the age of twenty nine with a learning difficulty or disability, or care a care leaver, or someone from BAME as well. So I think that's a really positive step. I would love to see our government follow that initiative and put some more, a bigger incentive in place for businesses to be able to support those disadvantaged or underrepresented groups. Um, The Australia system is really interesting as well. So they've come out... um, and I believe they, the government is funding half of the salary costs for trainees in any industry for a year. And they're looking at supporting 100,000 new workers. So a really good wage subsidy. I think for us, we're, we're still waiting to see that. Uh, we call it the golden thread. So it's mm-hmm. the, the kind of the piece that is going to connect kickstart and traineeships and apprenticeships all together so that we've got a really really good offer for employers and I believe people are looking at it I know there's been a huge amount of lobbying so I'm really hopeful that we are going to see some kind of change on that in 2021. Do you sense though finally that the 
the tide is turning, not just here, but you mentioned Australia. So across the globe, you know, we've had coronavirus and I guess out of the darkness must be able to come some light. And could this be that with the focus now on, on young people and how young people are going to be perhaps most impacted, economically speaking, by the coronavirus pandemic? Could this be the, the the tipping point? I think so. I think we've we've actually done quite a bit of work internationally. We've been speaking to colleagues in South Africa, um, in US, in India as well. And they're all looking at this same piece. You know, they're all looking at how apprenticeships can be used to support individuals um, of any age, actually. So, so young people are hugely important, but also adults who may find themselves unemployed and needing to retrain or reskill or use apprenticeships as a stepping stone into a career. Um, I think without a doubt, though, we have got young people who are going to be doubly disadvantaged because they perhaps are going to be entering a market, uh, a, you know, a job seekers market where there are, are less vacancies. There's more competition. And if they don't have the experience um, of the people that they are perhaps competing against to get those positions, you know, it's going to be tough. And we've got to make sure that we're giving young people an extra boost to be able to succeed and move into something, not just any job, but a job that they can be really passionate about and a you know an area that they can really build a career in and feel that they are being invested in and supported and, and taken seriously with their career ambitions. So it'd be great to see that. Anna Morrison, CEO of Amazing Apprenticeships there. Well, this podcast is all about apprenticeships and who knows more about apprenticeships than the apprentices themselves. So we've recruited a team of five from a range of sectors and during the series we'll be checking in on them. And as you might expect, it seems rather relevant, one of our apprentices is in the Army Air Corps. So it makes sense to have a chat to Lance Corporal Gareth Griffin. Gareth, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How long have you been in the army and what apprenticeship are you doing? So I have been in the army for over seven years now. I work with aviation within the Army Air Corps, within the British Army. Uh, I'm on a level three apprentice uh, for aviation ground crew. Just explain a little bit more about what that means, what it involves day to day. Yeah, of course. So um, I'm based over in Northern Ireland with 5th Regiment Army Air Corps. And on a day-to-day basis as a Lance Corporal in the regiment, uh, I could do conduct refueling, uh, movement of aircraft and also preparing aircraft. So this could vary from starting the aircraft uh, to bringing the aircraft back into the hangar for servicing and also refueling as well throughout the day. Why did you decide that an apprenticeship was the right way to go for you? Well, for me, um, in a broad spectrum, uh, throughout the army, a lot of soldiers are massively encouraged to go through an apprenticeship within the army, mainly because it gives you that um, assurance that if you do ever want to leave the army in the future, all that hard work that you've done in the army can be brought with you in a civilian qualification that you can take for further on in a career in the future. What's the process? How does it work in terms of your day-to-day army duties? Because I'm sure you have those too. And then your sort of skills development and learning. Are they very seamlessly linked? Oh, very linked. Definitely. So the apprenticeship that you are signed on to is actually linked very well with your job. In fact, my apprenticeship is actually my job itself. So everything I do on my day to day job goes towards my apprenticeship, whether that be conducting refueling checks or being a shift manager, 
uh, working with other people on my crew or shift with other people in the British Army. So it actually links very well with my day-to-day job. It's used as evidence, if you will. Mm. How are you assessed? Assessed? So we actually get assessed by having uh, even exams, um, quizzes, uh, through various parts throughout the year. Uh, we do have assessors as well, civilian assessors who come in and assess us throughout our day-to-day job. But a part of my job working with aviation, we also have a senior authority who assesses us and makes sure that we have the authority to work with that aircraft. So that's also linked as well. So what could your army apprenticeship potentially lead to within the armed forces? So it can lead to a variety of things. It gives you, like I said earlier, another qualification uh, for you to take through Civvy Street. So another form of UCAS points as well, as is equivalent to A-levels. Um, I believe also as well, it can stem on for some soldiers to carry on with further education, maybe promote them to do another A-level in another sector. But also as well, this is all part of our step-by-step in order for us to possibly even get promoted in the future, doing different aspects of the job. It's all part um, of the job, really. You just said uh, they're about giving you skills for Civvy Street. So when you leave the army, for those people who don't know, um, how important is that for you? How much of a consideration was that in the back of your mind when you, you took this on? I'm somebody who would like to stay in the army for as long as I can. Um, but unfortunately, there are people who uh, do not want to stay in the army for a long period of time. So I believe for them, it's quite an important aspect uh, for them to have um, a form of education for especially something that all the hard work that they've done over the year, they can take with them to civilian street um, to work with different organisations uh, with that qualification. What about working alongside the other apprentices? Oh, again, something that I do uh, every day on a day-to-day basis. Um, so even though I'm a Lance Corporal in the British Army, I also work with privates or air troopers in the Army Air Corps, we refer to them as. Um, and we still work um, day to day. We're linked in with our job. Even though I am their shift manager, uh, we still help each other out so that the job is done not only safely, but correctly as well. What would you say then, finally, to anyone who's considering taking on a, an army apprenticeship? I'd say take it with leaps and bounds, give it 100%. Um, and you'll find that the more you put into it, the more you'll actually learn about your job. I feel like I've learned quite a bit uh, from doing this apprenticeship as it allows me to go get more information, which gives me more knowledge and makes me more of a subject matter expert in my job role as well. And as a person? And as a person, definitely. Makes you more um, keen, bit more of an initiative to do well as well. I think it's really important that we aware, uh, make people aware, not only in the army, but in the civilian industry, that apprenticeship is an important aspect of any form of career, whether it be um, a young, especially a young person, in today's society as well, and even to range to um, the more adult generation as well. I think it's massively important as well. And I believe a lot of people don't understand that you can do an apprenticeship in the army. And it's again, it's a free qualification. Take hold of it. Lance Corporal Gareth Griffin, thank you so much. As I said, we'll be checking in on all five of our apprentices during the series. Thank you also to Colonel Matt Ketterer and Anna Morrison, the CEO of Amazing Apprenticeships. And to you for listening, of course, to this episode of All About Apprenticeships. Next week, we'll be catching up with the business journalist turned lunchtime talk show host and former apprentice, Steph McGovern. Plus, we'll chat in depth to another of our apprentices. If you have any questions or comments on what was said today, or you want to share your own experiences, then we'd love to hear from you. You can find the Home Surf Foundation on Twitter at HSV underscore foundation. Just use the hashtag all about the